Hello, is this thing on? Do you think they can hear us? Nah, let's say it again. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or any other podcast listening platform, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates to when we have our latest episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you like what you're hearing and you love our advocacy work, don't forget to go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the donate button. As little as $1 or $2 a month for a total of $12 a year will help us with our monthly podcast costs such as website hosting, our hosting platform, audio equipment, and the time and energy it takes us to put out good quality episodes. We thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome everyone. I We have a really great guest. She's been a really great friend of ours, nursing advocate, so strong. I mean, she's been through a lot of shit, but you know what? She's a fellow podcaster, uncensored, nursing uncensored. Like she is another leader, another champion, and I can't wait for Sarah to introduce her today. I'm equally excited to have you, Adrian, because I think we've been talking since like last year. I think it was like the end of the year about how we were going to go on each other's podcasts and we recorded with you and we've done a couple roundtable videos with other nurse podcasters, but finally you're here and you're going to come on our podcast. So I would like to introduce Adrian. She is a med surge float pool nurse. Prior to this, she worked as a night shift pulmonary step down and palliative care nurse for five years after becoming an RN in 2016. Adrian attended community college where she earned her ADN. She started working soon after passing NCLEX and entered an RN BSN program at the same time. She completed her BSN through the University of Iowa College of Nursing in December 2018. Before becoming a nurse, she was a CNA for 11 years. Adrian also has a podcast that she started in 2017 called Nursing Uncensored. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. I'm really excited to officially talk to you on your show. We talk all the time anyway, so this just feels like a natural extension of the conversations that we have anyway. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we uh, we get to do this get to do this officially on the Gritty Nurse podcast. So I'm I'm excited to do this. So we're gonna circle to a little bit more. Um, I guess it would be a little bit more serious conversation. Yes, let's. and um, yeah, I mean. One of the things that we've seen here, not not just he, uh, in the states there, but also here in Canada, is um, issues related to women's rights. And and, and I want to preface this by saying that you know we've seen that in Texas there's a new anti-abortion law. We've seen just now recently the 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 fear that people who are still in Afghanistan are feeling, particularly women, now that the Taliban is back in power. And, and understanding all of these nuances as we are three women as well. Just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, 
But I do know you said that you had some experience working in an abortion clinic. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about that experience and what it was like? Yeah, yeah. So um, I worked for, I'm going to, I'm not going to use the name of the clinic just because, um, um, you know, they already see a fair share of uh, protesting and um, inhospitable folks outside their doors. So I don't want to necessarily bring any more negative attention to them. Um, But when I worked there, um, you know, we did see, uh, it was, it's a gynecology clinic as well as a clinic that provides first and, um, early second trimester procedures. Um, and I started working there at the age of 18. Um, I applied for a job there, um, because I, you know, I was on a college campus. Um, I had spent most of the last four years in a Catholic high school that had been telling me that, uh, my choices were to remain single and celibate, get married and pump out babies for my husband, or right. to become a member of clergy and remain celibate. So two out of those three sound not very fun. Well, and my senior year of high school, I was told to like write an essay. We took like a lifestyles class and they told us those were our three options. And I basically was like, got in trouble because I wrote an essay that was like, these are antiquated sexist uh, teachings of a church that really just wants to repress women. So I, I got talked. I got the talking to for that essay, which was very oh well re- well written. I wish I still I bet it. you it was. And I'm still <laughs> friends with the other girl in class who wrote a similar essay. Um, she's a very successful uh, uh, woman now, so I'm glad to know her. Um, but yeah, so came to, you know, live on, living on my own at the age of 18, got a job there, uh, was trained not just in like abortion care, Um, and different stages of the process, like secretary, um, you know, the counseling portion. And we were taught about feminist health care. And feminist health care was the foundation for like everything I do as a nurse. And the things that they taught us was like, when you meet a woman in the clinic, you meet her face to face, not with her feet up in the air. You introduce yourself, you get full consent, Um, you don't touch her without her permission. Um, and this was before, um, a lot of, I mean, this was like, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. So this was before a lot of, um, education about trans rights and non-binary folk. So if I were talking, you know, back at the time it was like, um, you know, mostly cis women, but this would also apply for anyone that has a uterus. Um, But, you know, we would make sure, and it was mostly a female staff. We had a few physicians that were male, but I was taught basic consent. And that as, you know, a member of the team that talked to women through the abortion process, we were not there to push them through at all costs. We were there to make sure that this was their choice, that they were not being coerced, forced, feeling like they're backed into a corner. And if a woman was being forced, coerced, feeling like she had no other choice, we would, you know, not go through. We would basically counsel her to think about it, seek whatever um, counsel she needed to make sure she was 
uh, certain because women that are certain don't regret their choices. It's the it's the people right. that are uncertain mm-hmm. to begin with that have regrets. That was the basis of my healthcare education was the idea of consent, the idea of dignity, the idea of bodily autonomy. But that was kind of like the the beginning of my time there. So it wasn't even about just like abortions. It was about like people. And we also did like well male care as well, like STI testing and sports physicals. And like we did all sorts of other things. So it wasn't just like we just did that. However, I think that had we just done that, that's okay too. Like, I don't think you need to justify these services by being like, but we do pap smears too. Like, I don't think you need to justify it. (laughs) You know, we did that care for several years. I was part of counter protests. Um, and people get scary, you know, they, they're screaming at you as you're walking in the door. We had times where we had to escort patients in and out of the building to their cars just so they didn't feel harassed. Um, And we also had a really great pledge a picketer program where if people wanted to help out, they could donate a particular dollar amount for every picketer that showed up that day. And oh my gosh, that's cool. So, you know, (laughs) trying to mobilize the picketers, um, try to use that to our advantage. That for me, like, is what created my thinking around even the care that I provide for males in the hospital. Like, you have dignity. I don't want to meet you for the first time with your ass up in the air. Like, you deserve to meet me at eye level and be called what you choose to be called. And, like, I'm not going to touch you without your consent. Of course, with exceptions, like, if you're confused, out of your head, unsafe, what did you really enjoy about the work that you did? And then what was also maybe something that you found quite challenging in terms of the work that you did working in that clinic? The challenging part was how my friends and family responded to the work I was doing. Maybe people that didn't understand why I was doing like people who thought I was putting myself at risk and that, you know, people who thought like, Oh, you know, those picketers are going to follow you home. They're good. You know, that was like the thing that people were worried about. What, what's going to happen to you if you keep doing this work. And the part that was most, most rewarding to me was the fact that I could tell from, because one of the roles that I fulfilled in the time I was there was prior to the procedure, these women would come in and we did a bit of screening, you know, what brought you here? What, what do you, what are your expectations? What kind of birth control do you plan on using after this? You know, what are, are you being abused? Are you being forced? Like, what are the circumstances surrounding this pregnancy? Like, what can I do to help you, um, not be in this circumstance again? And most women that come in are very certain whatever the reason is. And I don't think the reason needs to be justified. And I think that being able to validate for those women that it doesn't matter what your story is. Like when we have these um, instances where abortion rights are being questioned and challenged, we say like, oh, but what about, you know, Susie Joe who has a pregnancy that has a fetal defect? Or what about Janie who was raped? Or what about... It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if this person has four children children already. It doesn't matter if she's abused. It doesn't matter if she accidentally forgot to put her diaphragm in. It doesn't matter right. if her, you know, if, but there's a lot of stuff that we don't need to question because 
she knows what's that she they whoever it is the person that is pregnant they know what is best for them Mm-hmm. Most of the time when people find out they're pregnant, it is the only thing they think about from the minute they think they might be pregnant right? until right. the time that pregnancy is resolved. You don't just like find mm-hmm. out you're pregnant and then think about it and then not think about it again until you're like, right. yeah. yeah, no, that doesn't happen. Like, if anybody that's ever had a pregnancy scare knows that the minute you, the thought even enters your head, yeah. you're, ho- you're questioning every possible passage in your life. What if yep. I have this kid? What if I don't have this kid? What, Like every algorithm plays out in your mind. So to see the relief on these women's faces when they know that their decision is going to be carried out safely, without judgment, without fear, um, and to know that, you know, that, that, that this is settled. That was what was fair. most rewarding. Yeah, I think no matter which way you go, it's always a difficult decision, right? Like if you decide yeah. you're going to keep the pregnancy, if you don't keep it, like what women need is no judgment and just they're so vulnerable when they come to you. You know, they they're so emotional, you know, a lot of them haven't even told anybody. And so like because I worked in a clinic as well, a, a well woman clinic, and a lot of times we would say that you need to have someone pick you up after the procedure it's actually quite surprising to me the number of women who didn't want anybody mm-hmm. to pick them up. And they were willing to sign an AMA saying that I will get myself home. I don't want anybody to know. And, you know, it's not up to us to judge the situation there. And there were a lot of women that came to the clinic that I worked in that were happily married and they had other kids. But, you know, they just weren't in the situation to have any more. And we're not we shouldn't be judging at all, you know, why they're coming to us. We just need to give them the care that they need safely. Especially when we live in a society that does so little to support women once they have their children. A hundred percent. And and this is something that I wanted to bring up because it ties in so importantly. I wrote this down on my pad because I didn't want to miss an opportunity to talk about this. So right now we have all this talk about the argument of especially with the COVID vaccine, my body, my choice, you can't We're tell just me. Gonna get to that yeah, too. yeah. Yeah. So I might be, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but it's because I really want to drive home this point because this is how I see it. Abortion is public health. And here is why. So people say, well, if you tell me that I can't tell you what to do with your body, AKA, I can't tell you whether or not to have an abortion then the correlation is you can't tell me what to do with my body, a.k.a. you can't tell me to put a vaccine in my body. Okay, this is this is mm-hmm. the, the right, equation right, right. that people are making. Right. Here's how I see it. With public health, the reason that we have mandates for vaccinations, like, for example, let's not even talk COVID. Let's talk measles, okay? The reason we all get vaccinations for measles I assume in Canada to go to school, you have to get vaccinations for measles. Measles is like the most contagious virus we've ever known in human recorded human history. And we vaccinate because it is a public health threat for us to have measles in our society because of how many people would get sick, how fast they would get sick, how fast it would tear through our society and what it would do to the greater society, okay? So we do it for the greater good, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So when women are not able to control the number and timing of their children, and women are not allowed to control 
what happens with their bodies, this becomes a public health threat. And here's why. Because, and let's, we could talk about this in a number of different directions. It's not even linear. When women cannot control what they do with their own bodies, it threatens, I don't know what percentage of people on the planet are women, or I shouldn't even say women, people with uterus, uteri, uteruses, um, but people who can get pregnant. Um, there are a lot of conditions that are affected by pregnancy, okay? What if you have PCOS? What if you have hyperemesis? What if you have cancer? What if you have a body that for whatever reason cannot carry a pregnancy to term? What if you have a body that carries high-risk pregnancies and both you and that pregnancy are at risk? Hell, what if you already have children and you can't feed those children if you have another child to feed? Now, okay, mm, right, so you, right. have, you have all these children and we hear all these, you know, to use a, you know, a, a racist cry from generations past, well, you know, people that are of color have all these children that they can't afford. Okay, we don't have a society that supports this. So now we're putting taxes into people who can't afford birth control and they don't have sex education. And now we have all these children that are on public uh uh, public money and um, now our society, you know, like it, it affects our public, public education system, our public health system. It affects who we're giving money to. Um, it affects children and whether or not they are neglected, abused. Um, every child should be a wanted child. Um, so we're already talking about how Unwanted children, forced birth, forced motherhood affects the greater society, okay? So maybe I'm taking this and stretching it pretty far here. But if you want to talk about what affects our society, we talk about forcing women to be pregnant when they don't want to. So I don't know, maybe maybe I'm taking that in an extreme direction, but that's how I see it in comparison to vaccines. Maybe... Um, Maybe I'm forcing you to take this vaccine because I don't want to see our society ravaged by something that is going to overburden our medical system, overburden our healthcare workers, make people sick on a mass scale. And maybe I think that abortion is legal, important healthcare because I think it allows us to control um, women's health, how we are structuring our societies, who we are choosing to. I mean, really comes down to it. If I had nine children, I wouldn't be able to feed all of them on my salary. If I didn't have access to birth control, you know what I mean? Like, but is this, is this kind of making sense where I'm going with this? No, it makes sense to me. And I was like, yeah, we were, we were going to go down this path in terms of like, what does my body, my choice mean to you? Because um, there's also that false equivalency in what you're talking about where, you know, and, and I have, I'm, I'm going to actually pointed out specifically that it's more nursing that I'm hearing saying this too, where, and maybe it's because nursing is um, female dominated, like over 80% of nurses are females, but I'm hearing them use this false dichotomy with saying, well, the vaccine has to do with my body, my choice as well. And you guys are now forcing, it's the same thing. And I mean, Sarah actually took some flack for it too, because she had mentioned that, you know, it is a false equi equivalency and she was getting hated on by other fellow nurses. So like, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that we want to talk about that, you know, 
you pointed it out as being like a public health threat. That's why these things are aligned, but they're also taking it and using it in this other way to say, well, this is the reason as to why I'm not going to take the vaccine. I think it's just what Amy has said in the past is like, nobody's going to hold you down and, you know, stick you with a needle. That's not what we're getting at. But when you are in a healthcare facility, you're working with vulnerable patients you have a responsibility to do no harm and, you know, not getting the vaccine and potentially spreading COVID that is doing harm. It's not a right to be a nurse, right? I think it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so if you truly feel that strongly that you don't want to get vaccinated and you want to spread this misinformation, you don't have to work in the hospital. You don't have to be a nurse. There are other ways that you can make a living. And, you know, we need nurses to be united and we need to be on the same page and we need to be spreading evidence-based scientific information. Another way that we can be doing that is by, um, I've even seen nurses just on in my own feeds that are sharing, whether they be news articles or memes or whatever, that share something that poses a question. Well, what if this And the answer to that question is readily available online. There are studies, there are, you know, there's evidence-based documentation. And I've, I've said to those people, you know, in the comments or in DMs or whatever, hey, this information is available. Here's, here's a citation. Here's why this is a credible source. I encourage you as a nurse to spread this information instead of spreading that meme that says like, oh my God, I can't believe that they said this on the news. When there's this answer to your question is right here. And I've had people say to me like, I don't appreciate your tone. I don't like the way you're speaking to me. And it's like, you're a nurse. Like you should be spreading correct information instead of um, sensationalizing and spreading half-truths or um, riling people up over stuff that we already have the answer to. Well, if this is F- if this is going to be FDA approved, what about this? Well, there's the study right here that says da 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 da. And people have gotten upset with me for sharing that. Like, well, I thought I thought you were I, I I thought you were a nice person, but that was a really snotty note you sent me. And I'm like, I sent you a link to a paper that you should be able to read. So right. I've gotten really <laughs> frustrated. And I'm like, okay, have a good day. But it's just it's yeah. like will it's like willful ignorance. Yeah, no, I hear you, and I think. The, the other thing that boggles my brain is the same people who might be saying, oh, it's my body, my choice when it comes to the vaccine are some of the same people that would be like, you shouldn't get an abortion. Yeah, yeah. It's just what? It's just like, hold on, hold on. You're not using this correctly. And then on the other hand, you're saying, you know, that person over there shouldn't have the right to choose to be pregnant or not. It just, it, it's one of the things that I, I see all the time and and when you call them on it, you know, it's the dogma comes in. It's about religion now. It's about this and that. And it's just like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's, it is super frustrating. And the, the ban that they've um, put into law in Texas um, is a six-week ban. And to translate that, when we count the weeks, okay, when we count the weeks at the clinic, it's six weeks from your last menstrual period. 
And so for those who don't kind of like speak that language, when you call a clinic and you try to figure out how far along you are for the purpose of, you know, having an abortion, making an appointment, they ask you when your last menstrual period was. Why? Because that is the point at which we can pretty much not always but we can pretty much guarantee you weren't pregnant when your last period started and that's the point at which we can count and figure out a probable time you ovulated and became pregnant which is about two weeks after your last menstrual period so if you had a menstrual period six weeks ago that means you probably got pregnant four weeks ago so at six weeks most women haven't even missed a period So what makes this band so effed up is that at six weeks, most women don't even know they're pregnant yet. So this is one of those laws that's like, ha, gotcha, where it's like, it's like, okay, you can still do it if it's before six weeks. And it's like, yeah, but I I think the article that I saw said that like 16% of women that seek abortions are like before six weeks because most women haven't even like, unless you are right. hyper regular with your period, most women don't even know that they're pregnant at this point. Right. right. So, um, and yeah. And most pregnancy tests will detect, um, HCG, which is the hormone that they look for to detect for pregnancy. Most of those will trigger, I think, a pregnancy test like 10 to 12 days after you become pregnant, which 14 days would mark. I mean, that's still, you're talking like before you've even missed your period. Right. Right. Like you'd basically be having to take a pregnancy test daily to catch it that soon. And that's not going to happen. So they've essentially made it completely illegal in the state of Texas, even though they're saying like, well, you could do it up to six weeks. Yeah, but nobody catches it then. So you've effectively made it impossible and making it so that women have to travel over 250 miles. So that's almost the distance between like Southeast Iowa and Chicago, which is my reference point. That's 274 miles between Iowa city and Chicago. I know that cause that's where I used to live. Um, right. So that's like, yeah, that's like a good four hours, four and a half hour drive um, to go to another state that has all the States around Texas have equally difficult restrictions, whether right. it be you have to have an ultrasound 24 hours before your procedure, or you have to like watch some BS video that the state made about your sweet little baby that you're depriving from going to kindergarten or some wow. shit. Lovely. Yeah. Um, so, and then you end up in order to have a procedure, Um, You have to arrange for time off work, travel, money to get there, money to get the ultrasound, money to stay overnight, money to have the procedure the next day, money to get back. Um, And you have to do this all before their limit, whatever that is. And then our pricing used to be based on how many weeks So say like then by the time you actually get all that money together, then you're over, say, 10 weeks by that point. Then you have to get more money together because then you're between 10 and 12 weeks. So then you have to collect more money. So like the stakes get higher every time. Um, And then, yeah, so it's basically like 
Yeah. And then if you either max out on how many weeks along you are, or you can't get the money together, or you can't get the ultrasound, or you can't travel, or you, and in the meantime, you're trying to like not raise alarms among people that you don't want to have to explain what the hell you're doing, or you have other children and you need to arrange daycare. Um, but yeah, so you have all these barriers in place and then you have to explain the fact that like you feel, you know, crampy and you might be bleeding right. a little bit and, um, you know, where'd that $600 go or more. That's what it cost when I worked there in, you know, 1999. So, um, yeah, we put all these barriers in place and we're like, ah, they can just go to the next state. That's so, insane. So what that effectively does is it keeps it legal for women who have money and vacation right. and cars, and it makes it illegal mm -hmm. for women who are poor, who don't have transportation, who maybe don't have partners or family members that can help them or that don't understand. It traps women who are in abusive relationships. So right. really, wow. it makes it illegal for women who are poor women who are of color not white yeah yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep and then what happens then is that women we know throughout history go to extreme lengths not to be pregnant anymore and they find ways to do it that are not safe and you know then we you know we're going to see women trying to do things at home or going to mexico or yeah um which we have a huge generation of people now that have never lived through a time where they saw the back alley abortions and the, they don't necessarily know what the coat hanger symbol symbolizes. Yes. Um, yeah. I've, I've been seeing that going around quite a bit. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that this is ushering in a very dangerous precedent because now here in the States, we have a lot of um, smaller courts as well as the Supreme Court that has been kind of stacked by a very conservative uh, Trump White House. And we are now starting to see the uh, hammer slams from that. So it makes me feel very nervous because um, it's a slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope. Because now that they've done this and they're going to appeal it, you know, they're appealing it, but it's in, effectively in place right now. So for all intents and purposes, this is the law yeah. in Texas now. And watch, states just like it are going to be trying to do the same stuff all over the country. So this is so unfortunate. In Canada, we, we don't have this issue, but I just can't believe that in 2021, this has happened. It just blows my mind and I'm so worried about these back alley abortions because I think that if we don't give women choice they're gonna do whatever they can mm -hmm. to find a way to make it work you know it's just inevitable and I'm even thinking that maybe the rates of adoption are gonna go up and the thing is is that and you know I have friends that have come out of the foster care system and they're wonderful people and I I know people that have been foster parents but the truth of the matter is is that foster care is not ideal and a lot of those kids that you know we think of oh adoption is such a wonderful thing it is and I don't think that you know those kids are deserving of anything less than a wonderful home but the truth be told is that 
there are a lot of kids waiting for adoptive families and waiting in foster care and waiting in situations that are terrible. Um, So I don't think that alone is the answer. Um, And I think that this goes far beyond just the, the, uh, the issue of abortion. This is bodily autonomy, reproductive bodily autonomy. And when we start questioning whether or not abortion is illegal, that pushes us into dangerous territory of losing our right to birth control as well, because we are just a hop, skip and a jump from people saying that, you know, that we already have people saying that plan B is abortion when it is not Um, people blurring the lines uh, between birth control and uh, abortifacients. And I think that's a really dangerous uh, rhetoric to have in place. But these are the things that usually come in order. Um, Wow, that's crazy. And something else Mm -hmm. that I want to point out that is the scariest part of all for me, and that is very fascist, if I might just use the F word, is that, have you heard about the whistleblower hotline in Texas? I did see uh, some of that posting about the whistleblower. How much is it? Is it 10,000 yeah. or is it 100,000? Oh, yeah. 10, oh, yeah. So now, mind you, this money is not going into helping women not get pregnant in the first place or to sexual education or to anti-rape education or to vasectomies or to anything like that. This is like a whistleblower website where you can basically go snitch on your family, friends, neighbors, and community members who you think might be getting abortions, driving people to abortions, giving abortions, or somehow related in any way. So this is essentially asking people to watch everyone around them and tell on them if they're doing something the state doesn't like. So, and so this money, sorry, just to back up. So they're going to pay you to whistleblow. They're going to pay you to tattle on your abortion seeking neighbor. And that's a good use of money. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Not to mention it's literally asking communities to tear each other apart. Apart. Right. I was going to say, yeah. That is so horrible. And that is it's so intentional. And people have also said that like legally it brings up some, and I'm, I don't understand anywhere near as much legal stuff as I should. Um, but it's basically putting a law into place and then asking the community to enforce it. Mm-hmm. So that would be like, if I said, you know, it's illegal to park on the street after 10 PM and then telling your neighbors to make sure that your car is not on the street after 10 p.m. And what if it is? We're supposed to call and have you towed? Like now it's my responsibility to tow you? What does that do to how you feel about me? What does that do to how your neighbors feel about you for call, for, about me for calling you in and having your, your stuff wow. towed? What, is that, you know, what does that do to trust in neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. What does that do yeah. to... Um, you know, what does that do to families when you're, you know, it's like 1984 when like you're, you know, you're turning in your own family members for stuff so you can get 10 grand. And how are they actually going to substantiate these claims? Like, let's say, right, right. Let's say you called and you said that Adrian is going to get an abortion in the next state, but they 
come and they talk to you and they can't prove anything, then what? Like that doesn't right, that doesn't what? even make sense to me. What if I have a miscarriage and my mom turns me in for having an abortion because she's convinced I had an abortion, but really I'm having a miscarriage? Then what? Mm-hmm. Wow. What if I'm yeah. What then? What? What do they examine me? Do they give me a pregnancy test against me? That's just it. It goes crazy. What? Where do we draw the line? What happens? Like mm-hmm. where? Where? This really does feel like it's coming right out of some like apocalyptic like sci-fi nightmare yeah i was seeing some some images roughward saying texas to gilead's from the uh handmaiden's tale but i mean i think this is this is another thing that we have to contend with and continue to fight against because just like i I don't know where this whole idea of you know men particularly making these types of decisions for women really that's that's really what it comes down to because i always i remember even having some of these conversations with my mom because my mom is kind of christian well she's not kind of christian she's christian Mm -hmm. or whatever and just kind of saying like well well who in the bible came up with this rule about abortion and these laws and these thoughts and these opinions and even my mom was like, hmm, sounds kind of like it was like a white guy writing it. I'm like, yeah, right? Well, like, this I mean, doesn't seem right to me. Well, we already know the Bible was not written by women. I mean, that's just. Oh, yeah, that's like. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue with me on that. And then also, you know, I'm also not a theologian, but, you know, from my many, many years of, you know, Catholic high school. Right. And I, th- I believe it's in the Old Testament. There were different. Uh, prices of penalty for killing a woman versus killing a woman's fetus. You know, there, there, uh, you know, there's talk of breathing the breath of life. And even if you don't bring, uh, see, that's the other thing. We always, you know, we bring the, the theological discussion into it. This is not a theocracy. This it always comes, and same with Canada. Like, yes, we have spiritual people. We are not all Catholic. We are not all Christian. And so, at least you know, in the United States, when we keep bringing this back to, um, well, but in the Bible, I was raised Christian. I was raised Catholic. I believe myself to be most closely christian if i had to you know talk about my beliefs now but i completely condemn organized religion because of the shit that it preaches if if religion is the only thing that's you know keeping you keeping your beliefs in check then i mean basic decency has to come into play here as well as the fact that not everyone subscribes to the same uh the same um ethical and spiritual uh guidebook here so um, we need to not just keep coming back to that as the the reason. That can be a person's personal reason. That can be your personal reason. That can be someone else's personal reason. But that cannot be the governing reason why we make I agree. Um, so I, I don't know. That same way, like, it's wrong to kill somebody. Like, murder, homicide is, in, is wrong. But, like, if you go to the law books, homicide is not wrong because, like, Jesus told us no. Like, that's not the reason we made it right. wrong in our society. <laughs> so, right. I mean, I think that they're – the personal reasons, fine, don't do it. But when we're talking about um, 
like this is a constitutionally protected right that we are continuing to fight over they're fighting over it by like doing these little tricky things like you can have it up to six weeks haha but none of you are gonna know by six weeks it's like stuff like this that makes everybody go but it's still legal when really the fact of the matter is is it's effectively not legal yeah and i mean what year are we in and we're still dealing with this like it i just feel like the last two years we've been thrown into like a really weird time machine Mm -hmm. and it's just like what was wrong is right and what was religious is now truth it's like why are all these weird things being equated it's actually creating much more issues but like i mean that's a whole other other conversation i spent a lot of time in high school uh reading a lot of science fiction that was written in like the 1930s and 1940s and those guys they were on to something because it's all happening right now so it reminds me of books like uh, brave new world tomorrow and tomorrow like all these books where they talked about stuff like this this like mm-hmm. extreme conservatism this extreme liberalism and the clashes that it causes within our society and um reproduction mm-hmm. and uh materialism all these things that we're dealing with right now but yeah I feel like the last two years could have been made into a movie and I feel like right now we're in like the final act of whatever horror movie this is and we're I'm hoping that this fourth wave is going to be the end you know the fourth wave comes it's the end movie ends and then we can just get back to some semblance of normalcy or maybe everything just ends right oh god (laughs) it's just over global warming (laughs) climate yeah like honestly nursing has been through hell and back these past couple years and i'm just wondering um if there's anything else on your mind that we haven't covered when it comes to the nursing profession like what do you think people need to hear about nursing today i think that The most important thing is that we need to be uncensored. And I don't mean just like curse words and dick jokes. I mean, we need to really be transparent with people about what it is that we do, because there's a lot of talk about how nurses, um, you know, are burned out and we hold hands and we're emotional and, you know, we're like with people in their final moments, but people don't know what we do. They don't know the fact that, like, if you're not paying attention and your bag runs dry, your patient might die. They don't realize that, like, every thought we have at work determines the trajectory of someone's life. And Mm -hmm. so I think that as nurses, we need to be open and honest about our skills, how valuable we are. Um, what we need. And I think that we need to to know what we need. So when places say to you, what do you need to feel appreciated? What do you need to do your job properly? We need to know what it is we really want. Um, So I think that each one of us needs to continue to find ways, whether it's just among our families and friends, or whether it's on a grander scale, like on social media or whether it be your local paper, local organizations, or, you know, to the world at large, we need to be talking about how important we are and how valued we want to be. Um, Because the world is watching us. And there are a lot of us that are acting a fool. 
Mm-hmm. And so those of us that want to see the profession grow and strengthen um, and survive this very rocky time need to hold our heads up high, carry our integrity well, and be very vocal about what we want in the future. So, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, like you said, the world is watching and then, you know, we're in this fourth wave. I don't know if you've heard about some of the things that have been going on out here in Toronto and various other parts of Canada where we have nurses who set up protests that were blocking access to hospitals. Like, like, where have we gone? Right. Like, it's just, what are, hmm. what are we achieving here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How have we, how have we lost our way and how are we going to redefine our collective movement and our goals Mm -hmm. i couldn't agree more yeah Yeah, and Mm -hmm. regain people's trust like i think that you know they were saying before yeah nursing is the most respected profession and i don't know if, if people still feel that way right so i think there's a lot of rebuilding to do 